Welcome, everyone. You're listening to Truth in Christ Radio, a Bible teaching radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Rochester with Senior Pastor Rob Kellogg. Can you imagine standing before God and having to answer questions? I mean, think of this like a, uh, like a room before a judge, and the judge's platform is way up high, and he's looking down with you with his spectacles, you know, on his nose like this, and he's asking the question, and you know you're guilty. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a daunting thing to have the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, speaking to you and saying, I told you to do this, and why haven't you done it? Welcome to Truth in Christ Radio for today. There is never a good reason for our disobedience to God. Israel's real problem was not one of military power or technology. It was a spiritual problem. The deplorable spiritual condition of the Israelites, not their lack of chariots, lay behind their failure to drive out the Canaanites. We must always remember that when we disobey God, we suffer the consequences. It is always better to obey God and leave the consequences to Him. Now let's join Pastor Rob with today's message. He did that in your life. He never asked me permission to intervene in my life. He came into my life at a really inopportune time. I was very happy and and thought I was happy and was very content going my own way. But I didn't know what God knows. And God had a plan for my life as He has for you. And don't you love that? that he intervened when I didn't ask him. And that's just because he's like, you know what, Rob, I've got something that's so wonderful for you that you can't, you, you can't, even, you can't even yearn for it. You don't even have the ability to yearn and, and, and comprehend what I want to do through you and what I want to do in your life and how I want to bring my glory about in your life so that others can see my glory. And um, I love that. I, there was no invitation sent. He just showed up. And he does this with the children of Israel here in Judges chapter 6. Look with me at verse 11. It says, Now the angel of the Lord, underline that, came and sat under the terebinth tree, which is an Ophrah, which belonged to Joash the Abiezrite, while his son Gideon threshed wheat in the winepress in order to hide it from the Midianites. We were just there in the valley, uh, the Jezreel Valley, uh, the Jordan Valley, uh, and we were at Mount Gilboa. And just uh, and there's a valley right in between, and then on the other side is some uh, other mountain ranges, and and this is where this this thing took place, and it was kind of interesting to see that, and that's a shameless plug to come to Israel next year, uh, so <laughs> so so the angel of the Lord came to him, and the angel of the Lord, verse twelve, appeared to him and said to him, "The Lord is with you, you mighty man of valor." 
God could look into Gideon's heart and see that this young man, this young teenager perhaps at this time, he could see the potential in him that nobody else could see, not even his father could see. And see, that's just how good the Lord is. But notice, Gideon said to him, O my Lord, notice, O my Lord. So he's calling him Lord. If the Lord is with us, if Yahweh is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his miracles which our fathers told us about, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. And so... um, and so, obviously, we're going, to, we're going to go on here. Let's pick up in verse 19, because now Gideon is so enamored by this angel of the Lord. He knew it was a visitation of God himself, and he wanted to worship. He wanted to make an offering to him. And so, Gideon, verse 19, went in and he prepared a young goat and unleavened bread in an, uh, in a, um, uh, from an ephah, a flour, and the meat he put in a basket, and he put the broth in a pot, and he brought them to him, to the angel of the Lord, under the terebinth tree, and presented them. Notice, and the angel of God said, Take the meat and the unleavened bread, and lay them on this rock, and pour out the broth. And he did so. And so this angel is going to receive this offering of worship, and watch what happens. And then the angel of the Lord put out the end of his staff that was in his hand, and he touched the meat and the unleavened bread, and fire arose out of the rock, and consumed the meat and the unleavened bread, and the angel of the Lord departed out of his sight. And so we see again Jesus, and just in his uh, kindness and love, and, and knowing certainly what Israel was going to go through, and how this victory was necessary for them, and how he was going to use a man that was very small in his own sight, because Gideon, remember, had to have many proofs to, to know that God was really speaking to him, and we're really no different. Well, oftentimes, when God is speaking to us, we may uh, throw out a fleece. I wouldn't encourage you to do that, but even when you do, uh, because of our the frailty of our faith sometimes. And, and God doesn't, He's not upset with us when we struggle. You know, so we don't need to worry about that. But um, sometimes we throw out a fleece and say, Lord, if this is really you, then, you know, cause an ice cream to fall out of the sky in my head. And um, that's kind of a silly thing to ask. Unless it does happen, then that's really big news. Especially if it's that Superman ice cream from Perry's. But anyway, I can't hear of any of you laughing. You're probably not laughing. Uh, so anyway, but that's a, an instance of a theophany, another one. And we also see one in Joshua chapter 5 when the commander of the Lord, we're not going to go to that passage, but Joshua met that commander of the Lord right before their first battle after crossing the Jordan to go into Israel. Their first battle, remember, was Jericho. And he met the servant or the commander of the Lord, which again is another theophany because the, the angel or the commander said, take off your shoes uh, Joshua, for the, the ground you're standing on is holy, holy. So going on in verse 1, it says, The angel of the Lord came up from Gilgal, Gilgal to Bochim. And Bochim literally means weepers or weeping, and we'll find out why that is. And he said, I led you up. So this angel of the Lord is saying, I led you up out of Egypt, and I brought you to the land which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. Who was it that brought the children of Israel up out of Egypt? Well, we know that it was certainly uh, the the human uh, element of it was Moses and Aaron, uh, but it was it was Jesus who ultimately led them up out of Egypt. You know, it's been said that behind every good man is a good woman, 
Uh, but more importantly, behind every godly man is who? Is God. It's God himself. And, and behind Moses was God. And, um, and it's important that we remember that. But who was the one who led them up out of Egypt? In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 4, I'm going to start in verse 1 though. Moreover, brethren, Paul writes to the Corinthians, do you not, do, uh, I do not want you to be unaware that all our fathers were under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them and that rock was Christ. So who was it that led them out? Well, the physical man was Moses but we know that Jesus led them out and he was that rock that provided for their sustenance all throughout their desert wanderings. And, um, and we looked at the types in, in Joshua and in Deuteronomy where Moses would strike the rock and, and once and then the water would come out and fulfill the needs of several hundreds of thousands, even a couple million people uh, out of that rock. And so let's go on here. Verse 2. And he says, I led you from Egypt, verse 1, I'm sorry, and brought you to the land of which I swore to your fathers. And I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of the land. You shall tear down their altars, but you have not obeyed my voice. And why have you done this? I mean, can you imagine standing before God and having to answer questions? I mean, think of this like a uh, like a room before a judge, and the judge's platform is way up high, and he's looking down with you with his spectacles, you know, on his nose like this, and he's asking the question, and you know you're guilty. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a daunting thing to have the angel of the Lord, Jesus Christ, speaking to you and saying, I told you to do this, and why haven't you done it? I mean, to me, that is a very unnerving thing. And what is it that God told them to do? What was the thing that God told them to do? Uh, you don't have to go there, but let me read it to you. You might just want to write the reference down. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 7, uh, verses 1 through 5. This is something that God spoke to the children of Israel before they even crossed over the Jordan. And he warned them way in advance. So this is uh, as uh, Moses was literally on the... Um, eastern shore of, of the Jordan River as they were hanging out there for some time before they actually crossed over, God gave to uh, the children of Israel these commands. And what was it? In Deuteronomy 7, verse 1, it says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess. So he's saying, you guys are about ready to cross over this Jordan River, and once you get over on the other side... And you've cast out many nations before you, the Hittites and the Girgashites and the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, notice the confidence of the Lord. They didn't have confidence in themselves, but God knew what they could do. God knew what he could do through them, just as he knows what he can do in and through you and I, even though our confidence may be little, even though our faith may be small. God can do wonderful things in and through us. So he says, and you shall conquer them, and you shall utterly destroy them. Notice the command. This is what you shall do, and you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them, nor shall you make marriages with them. You shall not give your daughter to their son, nor take their daughter for your son. 
But they will turn your sons away from following me to serve other gods. And so the anger of the Lord will be aroused against you and destroy you suddenly. But thus you shall deal with them. You shall destroy their altars, break down their sacred pillars, and cut down their wooden images, and burn their carved images with fire. It's very clear, isn't it? And so God told them in advance. They should have known this. They should have known this. And yet, for some reason, they did not pay attention. They didn't listen to the Lord. And so, you know, obedience is is very important to the Lord. Uh, even if it doesn't make sense to us. If it doesn't make sense to us, we still ought to obey it, even if we don't understand. Even if we don't understand. You can write down this verse. This is a, a, a passage that as we went through Deuteronomy and Judges, I just kind of hammered into us because it's really important. I might as well read it. It's Deuteronomy chapter 20, uh, verses 16 through 18. And it really just says basically the same thing. But notice it's a, it's a commandment, just like it we saw in Deuteronomy chapter 7 just a moment ago. This is even more condensed. And the commandment of God is there and the justification for the commandment. And this is, the, this is the reason why. But God says, verse 16 of Deuteronomy 20, but, as, but of the cities of these peoples which the Lord your God gives you as an inheritance, you shall let nothing that breathes remain alive. Notice, nothing that breathes remain alive, but you shall utterly destroy them, the Hittite and the Amorite, the Canaanite, the Perizzite, and the Hivite, and the Jebusite, just as the Lord your God has commanded you. And here is the justification for it. I love how God just doesn't say, I want you to do this, but sometimes he gives the reason, and sometimes he doesn't. But when he does, I'm very thankful for that, because then I understand, and he certainly does in verse 18, lest they teach you to do according to all their abominations which they have done for their gods, and you sin against the Lord your God. That's the whole heart of God, as He didn't want them to sin against Him. It's not that God is so insecure that He has to have full obedience so that it can somehow make His ego feel good. No, let me tell you, God, that there is nothing we can do to God that can tarnish any part of Him. He was perfectly well and fine before Genesis 1, verse 1. Before He even spoke anything into existence. He wasn't uh, lonely and needed a friend. God was very comfortable being who He is. I, I, I don't understand it. And then that's, what, that's, what, that's where our worship begins, right? Because I don't understand. He, he's so big and so awesome, and uh, I can't imagine who this being really is. And yet we, we get a glimpse of Him in Christ Jesus, and yet we'll always learn. So now fast forward from this uh, moment, several hundred years. And then we look at Jeremiah. Now, Jeremiah now is several hundred years in advance. And I just want to show you something in Jeremiah chapter 32, beginning in verse 20. We're just going to look down through verse 25. But beginning at verse 20, it says, You have set signs and wonders in the land of Egypt to this day, and in Israel, and among other men. And you have made yourself a name, as it is this day. Verse 21, And you have brought your people Israel out of the land of Egypt with signs and wonders, with a strong arm, a strong hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror. You have given them this land. Now remember, this is hundreds of years in advance to what we're reading tonight. 
And you have given them a land, verse 22. This is Jeremiah 32, verse 22. You have given them, God, this land of which you swore to their fathers to give them a land flowing with milk and honey. Verse 23, it says, And they came in and they took possession of it, but they have not obeyed your voice and walked in your law. So even hundreds of years afterward, we know that the record is still true. They didn't obey God's voice. They have done nothing of all that you commanded them to do. Therefore, you have... You have caused all this calamity to come upon them. So Jeremiah was very much understanding that the Babylonians, who were literally on the doorsteps of Jerusalem as he was writing this, this passage in Jeremiah, God or Jeremiah knew that it was because of the rebellion of the, his people that, and, their, and their continued rebellion that all these things added up. God had come to the point where he's like, all right, I'm done. I must bring judgment. I must bring judgment. And then verse 24, he says, Look, the siege mounds. And so here he's describing this siege mound right in front of the city of Jerusalem that the Babylonians have erected. And so he's looking at it as he's writing this. They have come to the city to take it, and the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans who fight against it because of the sword and famine and pestilence. What have you spoke what you have spoken has happened? Notice what you have spoken, God has happened. You told us that this was going to happen. These are the consequences of national sin. And so uh, Jeremiah was very understanding that they had it coming and God was being faithful to who he said he is and his word. And you have said to me, verse 25, O Lord God, buy the field for money and take witnesses, yet the city has been given into the hand of the Chaldeans. So notice that Jeremiah, even hundreds of years later, and after the children of Israel had come into the land, and did not drive out God's enemies, is seeing the result of those decisions that were made. That's kind of uh, frightening, isn't it? That's kind of sobering uh, to consider. Um, You know, there's nothing worse than when somebody is telling you in advance something, and you're hearing it, and perhaps you're hearing it for years, and then the time comes when that thing comes to pass, and you're standing there shaking in your boots knowing that you've heard it, you've heard it, You've heard it over and over and over again, and such was the case. And really, there's, there, there's, there's nothing you can say to that. And, and that's, that's really hurtful. But the, only, but the blame is, is, was on the children of Israel, just as the blame is on us when we finally get caught and when we get caught in our sin and God has to bring, has to chasten us. And sometimes he has to do it publicly. He doesn't want to do it publicly, but sometimes if we're not careful and we're still trying to play games with them, sometimes God can and does expose people publicly. You see it um, happening to pastors, unfortunately, where he will cause a, a pastor in a church to be called out publicly because of his infidelity or because of his money laundering or his love affair with money, whatever it may be. So let's go on to verse 3 in our text tonight. It says, Therefore, I said, I will not drive them out. So the angel of the Lord is saying, Therefore, because of this, I will not drive them out before you, but they shall be thorns in your side, and their God shall be a snare to you. And, And so it was, when the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the children of Israel, that the people lifted up their voices and they wept. That's why they called the place Bokim, because in the Hebrew, the word means weeping or weepers, because they cried and they cried. Now, notice that when they were confronted, they wept, but unfortunately, it didn't change their hearts. It, 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 this, this, this sorrow of theirs did not result in repentance or obedience. 
And see, I think this is where America is. I think this is where America is and where America needs to turn from its sin. Corporately in America, we know that there is an abundance of sin on our hands. There's abundance of things that we've done, just even with aborted babies. That alone, there is so much that uh, people in America have done. But let us not be like the children of Israel in this book. You know, they were sorry for their sins, but again, they cried out and God delivered them in His grace and mercy, but it didn't really change their heart. It really didn't bring them to repentance. And I'm certainly not saying that what we're going through right now is, uh, is God's judgment. That's not for me to know. But I will say that it is getting our attention, isn't it? It is getting our attention. Because it's not just something that is happening to the United States. It's something that's happening to the entire world. The entire world is going through this. So it's not just us. But God has his way in the whirlwind, as the Bible says. He has his way. And when he allows something like this to happen on such a global scale, he's really shaking the trees. He's really sifting nations and he's sifting people. And even with us in the church, it, it, it ought to bring about a gravity about our relationship with him. It ought to bring about, as it is in me, uh, a desire to really walk a life that is holy, to walk a life that is wholly separated unto him, separated from the world and separated to him. That's what I want to be. I know that's what you want as well. And that's why we're here together, because we all desire to please the Lord. So it's not for me to know what God's purposes are in what we're going through nationally right now. I don't have a clue. I know at the end of it, it's going to be positive. It may bruise us for a while. We may be um, hurting for a little bit, but God is going to have his way. And I pray that all of us, as a result, would just come a lot closer to him and that we'll put off those things that the Bible tells us putting off the old man and the deeds thereof, the fornication, the, the pride, the self-centeredness, the self-focus. And even in a marriage, there's so much there within a marriage about selfishness. Even in my own marriage with Kathy, you know, I can be really selfish and I can be really self-focused. And, and instead of serving my family and serving my wife, I can be looking out for my own flesh and looking out for me. And, and that just has to die. That's just not, it's unacceptable, right? supposed to lay down our lives for our families, men, to live lives that are holy to the Lord. So it was when the angel of the Lord spoke these words uh, that all the children of Israel, they, they lifted up their voices and wept. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 7 because we're going to look at the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 8. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, we're going to pick up in verse 8, and it says, Paul writing to the Corinthians, he wrote his first letter, and it was a very corrective letter, and it was very pointed, it really struck them hard, and it was a good thing. They needed uh, that kind of discipline, and Paul was God's instrument through which he was going to discipline this church. But Paul writes, he says, For even if I made you sorry with my letter, I do not regret it, though I did regret it. For I perceive that the same epistle made you sorry, though only for a while. Now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. Okay, there's the difference. When sorrow is led to repentance, let me, let me just go on here. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us and nothing. For godly sorrow produces what? It produces repentance leading to salvation. 
but not not to be regretted. But the sorrow of the world produces death. So we have the sorrow of we have godly sorrow and we have worldly sorrow. He says, "For I observed this very thing that you were sorrowful, that you sorrowed in a godly manner. What diligence it produced in you." So when when there was a real desire to repent, notice what he says. He says. What diligence? I'm sorry, that's all the time we have for today, but please join us next time as Pastor Rob continues our study in the book of Judges. Calvary Chapel of Rochester is located at 2503 Browncroft Boulevard, Rochester, New York, 14625. You can reach us at our church office between 9 a.m. and 4 p.m. Monday through Friday at area code 585-586-3140. If you would like to have an audio CD of today's message mailed to you in its unedited form, simply mention today's date when contacting our church office. You can also contact us via the web by logging on to www.calvaryrochester.com. There you will be able to access a number of useful things, such as information concerning our beliefs, our ministries, contact information, our location, service times, and much more. You can also download or listen to the radio and sanctuary messages free of charge from the teachings link at the top of the page. To listen to Calvary Chapel of Rochester sanctuary messages or Truth in Christ Radio on your mobile device, just subscribe to both through Google Play and Apple Podcast. You may also join us on Sundays and Thursdays through live streaming of our services and Bible studies. Just click on the online services link. We're so glad that you could join us today. And if there is any way that we can bless you in your walk with Jesus Christ, please don't hesitate to call our church office. Remember, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And for this cause, I have come into the world that I should bear witness unto the truth. Everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. May God bless you in abundance today as you walk with him. And until next time, this has been Truth in Christ.